0: Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hola, bonjour, Legit Lady listeners. This is your host, Julie Fetterman. And welcome, very warm welcome, to the podcast where we feature impressive women to inspire the world. Really appreciate all of you who have been writing great reviews about the podcast, all of you who've been subscribing from our global audience. So exciting! So exciting. Uh, please continue to share the podcast boldly and loudly to your social networks, to people in your life who you think could really benefit from the podcast, and welcome your feedback and your thoughts on the podcast, feel free to send us a quick note either through social media or to legitladypodcast at gmail.com. And in fact, if you have a really great suggestion of a legit lady who you think deserves to be on the podcast, feel free to send us a note and we'd be more than happy to consider featuring them. Because for us, we are constantly on the hunt for great new people and domains of expertise and people who deserve to be featured and talking about subjects that you would love to learn more about. So feel free to let us know. It'd be really great for us to keep building out our library of incredible stories. And if you're looking to perhaps support the podcast in another way, aside from subscribing, sharing, and rating and reviewing the podcast. A really great way of doing that is to throw us a couple dollars in an online tip jar called Kofi or coffee. And the way to get to there is to go to Kofi.com. So that's ko-fi.com slash legit lady podcast. Again, ko-fi.com slash legit lady podcast. And this is the easiest way for about $3 Canadian a pop, which is especially if you're listening in the States or across the pond absolute deal. This is a great way for you to show your appreciation for what we're doing, all of the labor and hard work that we put in and our own hard earned money into supporting the podcast. So we really, truly appreciate it. And this week's guest is someone who was actually a referral to us from someone who we treasure and adore and have known for a very long time. So when she said, hey, listen, this is a woman very deserving of being on the podcast, I certainly listened. This woman is an entrepreneur, a small business owner, but someone who has spent at least 18 years in the realm of plants and botany which for some reason is super duper trendy right now especially in North America having plants in a garden it's a whole it's a whole thing that we actually talk about in the podcast and she digs quite deep into what plants and flowers and bouquets actually mean for us as humans this podcast went way deeper than I would have even expected so it's a real treat please welcome the owner of periwinkle flowers on 661 Mount Pleasant Road, Jessica McEwen. I'm so excited to have you here. I've heard nothing but incredible things about you, Jess.
1: Thank you. That's really sweet.
0: Absolutely. And as you can see by my apartment, I am definitely very invested in what you do for a living. Lots of plants, lots of greenery, my own tiny little jungle. i so a plant lover. Exactly, I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You were saying before we're kindred spirits. Definitely. Plant people are good people, I think. I like that. Yeah. That would make a great t-shirt. <laughs> it would. <Yeah. laughs> Well, we're so excited to have you, and we're really looking forward to getting to know you through 10 main questions, as you know very well from listening to the podcast. And then I have a few geeky, nerdy, wonderful plant-related and oh life-related my questions. I hope, I hope I
1: know the answers to the plant ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I promise they're softballs. On. No, <laughs> no, you're,
0: you're good. We're not getting too scientific here. So with that, let's go head first into question one, which is, what advice would you give to your teenage self? I've been thinking a lot about this one.
1: Um, I wasn't the greatest teenager. I was, um, I felt very lost as a teenager. I grew up in England until I was 14. So uh, my entire family immigrated to small town Ontario when I was 14. And um, it's a very difficult time to make that kind of a move. And Small town is very different from where I grew up. I grew up in the middle of the English countryside in a cottage that was hundreds of years old. Uh We spent days just rambling around the fields. Um, It was a very insular life. And this was back in the late 80s, early Mm -hmm. 90s. So I didn't really know much about North American culture, really the only Thing that i had to know what i was walking into was um i had seen some episodes of degrassi junior high oh my gosh and that was pretty much my <laughs> only canadian sort of reference it's not a bad one no it's not bad it's not <laughs> bad it turns out um that is actually what it's like here um, <laughs> I <love that. laughs> but i found it i i definitely found it really hard in my teenage years, um, even though North American culture isn't different, it's totally different, and really? I, I really struggled to find my place. I didn't feel that I fit in. I felt like an outsider. Um,
0: what what elements uh, of North American culture, language, by is, is
1: totally different. It. it oh we were all speaking English, but it's as if I was speaking a foreign language. I I moved to small town Ontario in the early nineties. It was Mm. 99.9% white Anglo-Saxon. And yet we still didn't understand each other. Um, I I remember being in the school canteen and uh, trying to ask for a drink and I Saw a soft drink that I hadn't seen before and it was it was Mountain Dew. But I would be like, Could I have a Mountain Dew, please? you're <laughs> just sorry. And I had to say it like five, six, seven times before they could understand what I was saying. I had a history teacher that loved my accent at the time. So he would always call on me to stand up and answer questions uh. because he liked hearing the English accent. So mm. I felt totally in the spotlight the whole time. It was very uncomfortable. Um so I think if I could go back mm-hmm. and talk to myself then I would probably want to tell myself to just relax don't worry so much I was very unhappy with myself I didn't like myself and I think that that's common mm-hmm. among everyone especially yeah. creative people I think where um there's a lot of soul searching that happens when you're a teenager and uh you know now I'm in my 40s so I've had A lot of time to go through the growth that you go through as part of the human experience. Um, But if I could have known some of this back then, it would have been really helpful Mm -hmm. um, to just relax and that there were people there that were lovely and friendly and warm. I never felt that I was worthy of being liked as a teenager, so I never really connected. I always felt like an outsider. I, I never felt like I fit in. And now, with the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and be like, everyone was fine. Everyone Mm. was very friendly. No one was mean to me. It was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, It was mostly in my head. Um, So I would definitely say just relax, find your joy, find your people, be open to other people, and just enjoy life. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think I did at the time. And I would really love to be able to go back and just give myself a big hug and then, you know and just tell myself it's okay. Um so I was I pretty much left um the small town when I was 19 and uh that period of time it was really hard. Um I really struggled and I I didn't really kind of grow out of that until my late 20s. Hmm. Um so It was a difficult time for me, but nothing bad happened. It wasn't, it it was just all in my head.
0: You weren't necessarily bullied or anything for for having an
1: accent. No, I think people were more just fascinated. (laughs) We were were oddities. I mean, this is a small town. This wasn't, it wasn't like we were moving to Toronto or Ottawa or anything
0: like that. Which can still feel really uncomfortable. I mean, like anywhere where you are a, a very clear minority and the majority doesn't quite understand how to deal with that minority, or you yeah. feel like you're being othered, even if they have good intentions, just that othering yeah. can just make you feel so I think a lot of it was in my own head, though. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, if I had just, just
1: relaxed, I, you know, being a teenager is hard. When you're an adult, you I mean, now, if I had those feelings now, yeah, I would just like, okay, well, come on, Jess. Yeah. What's the problem? What steps can you take to fix it? And let's go out and make these changes. But when you're a teenager, mm-hmm. so much is going on. You don't have the knowledge and the life experience to know. Yeah. That or the that's awareness. That's what you need to do. It's you know? true. And yeah, if I if I had that life experience back then, I probably would have been like, okay, you know, smart enough. <laughs> Everything's fine. And, and I would have just relaxed and, and gone out and tried to enjoy things.
0: Got yeah. it. And how did you grow out of that feeling of discomfort? You said mm. in your early 20s or so. Well,
1: I moved away from... The small from, town. From the small town. Moved mm. to Toronto when I was uh, 19. I've been here ever since. And I, I do feel more comfortable in a big city, which is mm. kind of odd because, you know, I spent the first part of my life in the middle of nowhere. Um, but the city I feel very comfortable in, it, It's I, I feel a little less spotlight on our mm-hmm. differences because Toronto is just a huge mass of different people yeah and uh, and that's what I love about it so I, I think it was just working through life and um, you know it, it wasn't instant it wasn't like turned 19 left the small town and suddenly I was okay there was yeah. a lot of work that went into it I probably didn't feel comfortable with myself until my mid-30s
0: so I mm-hmm. mean it took, took a while that's yeah. common, though. It's common in general, even yeah, I think so. without feeling a particular mm-hmm. specific difference or something that mm-hmm. you can pinpoint. I mean, yeah. so many of us are even older than that age and still trying to figure it out. Most people I know, um, like I, I'm in a creative
1: field, and most people I am friends with are creatives as well, in in some form or other. And I would say across the board, everyone feels that way. Everyone tells me. They didn't feel comfortable in school. They didn't feel that they fit in. Um, they didn't feel that they had friends. Mm. Um, school is so cruel. If you think about it, it's <laughs> tough. I have a thirteen-year-old, and and oh. I just like, boy, dude. If if I could somehow make it so you didn't have to go to school, I would, yeah. because it, it is. It's it's a tough. It's a tough way to go through your teenage years, having to deal with that. I'm not sure that we've quite got it right as a mm-hmm. society to to put teenagers through high school.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How vocal have you been with your 13 year old mm. about yeah. the experiences that you had? Yeah. We talk a lot. I'm sure he's, mm. well, he's 13. So he's just getting
1: to teenage them. And I'm yeah. sure this he's going to start getting to the point where he's like, mom, I get it. He's way more <laughs> clued in than I ever was oh, as good. a 13 year old. He's a great kid. Um, and he's not moody. He's not difficult. I was from even preteen times. So I don't know how my parents put up with me. So <laughs> like he's he's so much easier than I ever was, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, which great. makes it easier on me.
0: Got it. Yeah, and and do your, do your folks still live in that small town, or did they ever?
1: Yeah. move? yeah. My entire ah. family lives there. My parents, ah. my sister, I have an older sister, two younger brothers. They're all married. Got it. They all have a million kids. Ah. Um, so there's a big extended family there. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So and I, I get to go back. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Be it's, able to revisit. I uh, going back now is kind of weird because I left it right at the end of my teenage years, mm-hmm. right at, right after high school, basically. And um, so for a long time, I still viewed it through that lens of of not being happy. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't like going back. I didn't feel comfortable going back. And it's only in probably the last maybe five or six years that I've started to, when I go back, realize that it's not it's not that place because you can never go back really but it took me a long time to realize that it's not the people and and the place that I have in my head it's nothing like that and Mm -hmm. the people are lovely the town is lovely um you know my family's really happy there and and so now it is home which Mm -hmm. for a long time it didn't feel like it was
0: Mm -hmm. yeah we can be really fixated on the stories that we've created for ourselves even stories that are the stories you tell yourself exactly and then that's that shapes how we look at that place or group of people or things like that so good on you for for having that flexibility to be able to get through that that's a lot of self-work yeah Yeah. did did you was that uh working with a coach or a therapist or was it all internal just 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 life myself and i
1: yeah (laughs) just just getting through life i think that's a big part of it is uh you work through things as you, as you grow. And mm-hmm. and if you don't, you get stuck for a long time.
0: So right. yeah, it's just been time. Very, very, very interesting story. It is, it is, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, you know, you think of you, a lot of us, we think of say like an immigrant story. Yeah. Um, we think of that in very many ways. If you just hear an immigrant story mm-hmm. um, and it's, interesting to hear all different kinds of immigrant stories, uh, from various people of all backgrounds and walks of life. So I, I'm very appreciative of it because myself, I'm born and raised in Toronto. Mm. I do not have that experience. So for me, it's a really great opportunity to hear that. It was, it it was life-changing for my family to move here. and, And why did
1: they move by the way? Um, well, I think, at the time, my, uh, my dad was involved in politics there, and uh, oh. it was stepping up, and he was being asked to be um, to get further involved, and I think they had to make a choice on mm-hmm. what they wanted to do, and, and they decided in, instead to uh, just start a new adventure and, and move us here, and it, it was a huge decision, and, yeah. and they uprooted everything and brought us here, and, and I think everyone's happier for it. They're, they're very happy. Very, yeah, they have, very they have cool. they have a good
0: life there awesome yeah. so fast forward you come here to toronto mm-hmm. and then you decide to study i was having a really hard time trying to say this uh re- retail floristry Fre- re- floristry yeah. i was really <laughs> struggling with this when i was preparing I was like fa, so how did this happen uh
1: i God, i wish it was a better story i really do Um, All stories are good. (laughs) But something I'm learning is um,
0: they're all different
1: (laughs) stories in life. And it just depends on which ones you're focusing on, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was never going to be a florist. I went through my entire teenage life thinking I was going to be a writer. Um, And then I decided I wanted to be a journalist. And um, I was an A student. I was an Ontario scholar. So I applied to a whole bunch of universities, got into all of them uh, for journalism, uh, went to Wilfrid Laurier, uh, promptly dropped out after about a month and a half. Uh, <laughs> just decided it. it wasn't for you. I, right? I just hated yeah. it. I was miserable. Mm. I was miserable. I, I, It was not what I expected at all. Mm. And uh, I, I just couldn't get out of there fast enough. Um, so then I was left sort of thinking, well, you know, now what do I do? You know, so... I ended up um, just taking floristry because it was a one-year course. I was like, yeah, flowers. Yeah, I like flowers. I've always been interested in gardening and gardens. And when I was a kid, I had a little section of the garden at home in England. And I was like, yeah, okay, I I remember. I could probably do that. That sounds, you know, and it was just one year. And um, since I didn't know what I wanted to do, I thought, "Just, just take that. And then I've never looked back. I wow. I just I I loved it. I I can't imagine doing anything else now.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, but oh. it was pure chance. I mean, I could have taken basket weaving. Like <laughs> it could have been anything. It didn't matter what it was. I just needed something to do, thing. to do, and and that's what I chose. And it turns out I loved it. So
0: oh wow. It and and what type of courses do you take in retail floristry? As that course doesn't exist anymore now, mm. it's um
1: there's only one full-time floristry course at a different college now, but the one that I took, it was um, business and uh, floristry. So you learned the basics of how to do flower arranging, but we also did history courses, um, um, learning about how people used flowers to celebrate life through the ages. So how did Egyptians use florists? How did Romans use um, florals? So um, it was a little more in-depth than just how to make an arrangement, yeah. And um, then there was also the business side as well. So they also taught um, taught us how to write business plans, how to manage um, small business bookkeeping, um, how to manage business writing, all that sort of thing. So it was pretty in depth. And there was also a co op placement as part of it. So um, I did a co op placement at a small store in Rosedale, and they ended up hiring me. So and the rest and is off, history. Off I went. Yeah. Off you went. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for that backstory. A little bit of context on you. Yeah, I know it. I find that it's an awkward
1: story for me because I I feel like it, it's a little lame. <laughs> it not. feels like it's like I I this thing that I love I happen to fall into, um, but then when I really look at it and I start connecting the dots and go back further and remember being a child and remember always having to garden. And, um, I used to, there was a little old lady lived across the street from us in, in, um, the little village that we lived in in England. And I would uh, go over and help. She had a gardener help her and I would go over and help him do his rounds. And he would show me what he was planting. And then I'd make a little um, booklet, like a magazine. I would type it up with all oh. the different flower facts and draw pictures and make a copy <laughs> and take it over to her. So I had my own gardening magazine when I was like seven or eight years old. And so, so you're this, an
0: entrepreneur all the way back then. Yes.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely a, a love of it. I I just didn't know how gripping it would
0: be, I guess. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think most of the things that we decide we are so passionate about or that we love, I think we come across many of those on accident. Yeah, I guess. And I, I also do think that for some of those passions and loves, we do have a weird subconscious or conscious input from perhaps a previous time in our life. So I I don't think it's that lame or that weird a story. It makes, it makes sense. It totally does.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's just my best friend when I was growing up, always said she was going to be a nurse and she went to university and trained as a nurse and was a nurse her whole life. And you know, it, it just, I never had that path. I never Mm. felt that much of a, you know, I, like, I was like, oh, I like writing, so yeah, how could I be a writer? Okay, journalism, sure. But I there, <laughs> there wasn't that push mm-hmm. there, and maybe that was part of it, too, as I, I wasn't fully married to that. Yep. So it left me open for something else.
0: That's maybe. it. Well, I never could have predicted where I'd be right now five, ten years ago. Absolutely What did not. you want to be when you were a teenager? <sighs> you know, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Oh. I wanted to be a veterinarian. That is not what you are doing now. Absolutely not. <laughs> I subscribed to Cat Fancy magazine and I was I was obsessed with cats growing up. Literally everything, every T-shirt. And it's very funny because I don't know if you feel the same way, but, um, you know, my my mom, my grandmother, they're so endearing that they would theme all my gifts with a particular theme mm-hmm. because they'd be like, Oh, well she likes cats. So we're literally going to get anything with a cat on it. And that's going to be the thing that we yeah, go off. There's of. a
1: thing in my family where it, it's like, don't try not to mention too hard that you like something because yeah. <laughs> then you, then you turn into the person with the, the chicken themed kitchen, you know, yes, <laughs> yeah. 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 You have to be careful. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. So that was that for quite some time. So I was obsessed with the concept of becoming a veterinarian and I did study science in university. However, it nothing to do with animals, although I do love animals. So it, life yeah. is so winding and hilarious. Makes you, makes you wonder though, because, you know, we're telling people that
1: are telling our kids in high school, prepare yourself, decide what you're going to train for yes. and do. That, and I don't I don't uh, think people know. My son asks me all the time. He's like, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, you're, you're 13. I think it's a little early to decide. I, I don't think you can decide. I think
0: we, we may be leading kids astray there a little bit. You're totally right. And I almost felt precocious because I was saying like, I think this feels weird that we're being forced to figure out Mm -hmm. the rest of our lives at such a young age when we haven't even figured out how to be humans. How to be decent people. Exactly. I mean, I
1: definitely felt that. I kept being asked by the guidance counselors, you know, well, let's take a look at your marks and what do you want to do? What are you interested in? What do you like? (laughs) So then they say, okay, well, let's start streaming you this way. So then all of the classes I took in high school were streamed towards Journalism, writing, you know, I took all the Englishes, all the histories. Um, I didn't take any physical type courses. I didn't take anything that involved making. And now, as an adult, all I do is make things with my hands. And and that's what I love. So, um, and I don't think it's that they missed the mark. I think it was they had to stream you into something. And, um, when I was that age, I didn't really, I wasn't even aware of different jobs. It had never occurred to me. You could be a florist when I was a teenager. I didn't know it was a thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I I think we're, we're, yeah, we're not helping kids telling them they have to choose when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. I didn't know what I wanted to to be I just it was a default
0: yeah yeah it's true it's true so especially for you listeners out there who might still be a teenager yeah Yeah, it's okay to
1: not know what you want to be
0: it's true it's true and even if you're feeling that external pressure whether it's from school guidance counselors even your parents you shouldn't feel like you need to do a thing just for the sake of doing the thing yeah. The worst thing that you can do is go forward, invest a ton of time, effort, money, energy into something just because you're feeling coerced into doing it. Mm-hmm. That's just there's also
1: yeah. this feeling of a big push that you have to find your thing and it has to be the thing you're really good at. <laughs> and it has to be you know the thing you're gonna do for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and you'd better love it. That's not necessarily the or case. Else. Yeah. <laughs> Some people have jobs that are just jobs and they do their job really well, but it it's not the reason for their being. And that's fine. They have other interests and that's not what makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, maybe that was something I was missing too, is I didn't understand that you could just have a, a career or a job and it didn't have to define you. And I felt I needed to be defined as something.
0: Yeah. That's actually a really important point. And it's it's actually a conversation I've been having recently. Um, I'm very much the kind of person where I want to do everything full out, 100% all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've always tried to seek meaning from my work. Um, I try to lead a an authentic life or at least as much of an authentic life as I can. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to feel that disconnect, when I was perhaps working on a team that I didn't necessarily identify with, or Mm. maybe it was a particular product or line of business that didn't feel like the reason that I needed to get up in the morning, uh, that challenged that uh, piece of my identity that I held so so high yeah I said my my job needed to be who I was yeah and so that's actually a transformation I am in the process of being in right now it's it's a difficult one to go through yeah Yeah. to
1: realize that um your self-worth doesn't have to be tied to what you're actually doing for a living exactly in any way exactly yeah
0: you know look, I have a podcast. Look, I'm doing all these things.
1: You create, you know, life out of lots of different parts and it's not just your work life. That's it. For some people it is. I mean, for me, I'm lucky I get to do what I love and it's a huge part of who I am, Mm -hmm. but it, doesn't have to be. That doesn't make other people's variation of life any less valid. So
0: that's true. Yeah. You're a professional joy maker. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to jump back to our official questions because I, I feel like we can chat for quite some time here. Um, question two, what's your proudest accomplishment? Okay. I'm going to give you
1: two. Okay. I'm going to give you a personal one and a professional one. Lay it on me. Not necessarily because I can't choose, but because the personal one I'd say is probably my proudest, but it's also possibly the one that has less to do with my input, (laughs) but I'm still proud of it. Um, And that's definitely my kid. Um, I'm so proud of him. I really am. And um, it's, it's kind of weird because I'm the one in the family that no one really expected to be into kids. I, mm. I was never that person at a party. If there was a kid there that would be like, can I hold the baby? Can I yeah. hold the baby? Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm I go, I run that, in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. It's see,
1: and I'm just, I'm not that type of person. Um, my siblings all had their children in their early and mid twenties. I waited until I was 30 to have my son. Um, when I told my family, oh my gosh, they had a huge party. They were so excited. My mom was Uh, my mom just said to me, but we thought you weren't going to have kids because we thought you didn't like them. Yeah, It's like, Oh, uh, (laughs) may have misled you a little there. They're fine. Um, and yet I I have my son and he is, he's such a cool person and Uh. I'm so proud of him. I really am. And it does take work from parents, but I have to say like, there's a lot in there that's not fully on me. My husband is amazing. Um, his grandparents are amazing. The extended family is wonderful. And there's also a lot of just him being, you know, the mix of everything and his own little spark of genius that everyone has. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it's necessarily much of an accomplishment on my part to have such an awesome kid, but, but I do. So I, I take great pride in that. So that's definitely my proudest
0: uh, accomplishment in life to, to raise
1: this amazing human being.
0: Shout out to your Shout rock out. star, amazing 13-year-old <laughs> son. We're he going to awesome. embarrass you by calling you out on the podcast. But yes, too will very embarrassed. Um, um, and, and quick question on yeah. that, because you, you mentioned you're like, I I was not the person to have a kid. In fact, my family was totally shocked. Yeah. So, so what changed? Or was it just luck? <laughs> no, I mean, I... I think it, again, it's
1: just, I I hit a point in my life where, um, I was just ready, but up until that point, I never, I was never a person that felt the push. I, I, I know lots of women do Mm -hmm. in their twenties. And, and part of that is just physical evolution. We're supposed to, um, you know, to keep the human species going. Um, but I, I, just never felt that need to be a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe it was because I was very involved in, uh, in my twenties, mid twenties, I opened a business with a a business partner, a a flower shop. And, um, so I was very involved in that. So that was sort of taking a lot of my interest and my creative drive. So I didn't feel the need to have mom as part of my identity at that time. Mm Um, and then I just, I don't know, I, I, Got towards 30 and talked to my husband and we were like, okay, well, yeah. And he was the same. He never felt this burning need to do it. So, um, we just hit a point where we thought, okay, yeah, we could, we we feel we're ready because it's a big deal to raise a, a, you know, you create this entire human person out of nothing and it's, you know, it's a big deal to bring someone onto this planet. So you can't really backpedal out of that too easily. You can't be like, (laughs) oh, actually. Uh,
0: so yeah, it was. I know you're too, but can, can you just take <laughs> yeah. care of yourself now? kind cool. of changed my mind on this. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it changes. It does change your life and it, it's, it's a lot of responsibility and, and I, I didn't feel ready for it until I hit 30 and then I was like, yeah, okay, I can do this. And, uh, yeah. So really, really proud of that kid. Aw. Yeah. So that's my personal one, which is, as I said, definitely the one I'm proudest of, but probably not, it's not completely my accomplishment. There were <laughs> other people involved. Um, And so personal is definitely top, but professional, I think I'm most proud of my, the community that I've created around my business. And this has just happened in uh, the last few years. Um, So I I had, had an original flower shop with a business partner. We um, had the shop for about 13 years and then she left to, to pursue other things. And I opened a second flower shop. Um, just of my own. And, um, it's in Midtown and I have a few staff and I've been slowly since I opened it, just really, really honing in on what do I want this to be? This is, this is my second baby. And you know, what, what do I want this place to feel like, um, for the customers, for the girls that work for me and for myself. And, um, in doing that, we've created this amazing community of people that I didn't even know at first that we were touching their lives in the way we were and then in getting back messages and people coming in and chatting with us and and uh getting letters and and reviews i've started to realize what an effect we are having on the people in our little community the little flower tribe that we've created and i love that flower tribe a <laughs> <laughs> little flower tribe and and i just i'm really really proud of that 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 everything we've done has created this, like, um, to give a more solid example of it. Uh, one of my customers that will stop in and just say, hi, and she purchases, but not every time that she comes in. Sometimes she just comes in just to say, hi, have a little chat. We love seeing her. She lives locally. Her daughter, um, is maybe seven or eight. And when she was five or six at school, she had to do a project on community helpers. And she had to get get up and give a speech and talk about someone that she chose, and she chose me. And Aww. that just—I know—it like makes me tear up just think about it. Because when they told me that, I was so taken aback. But she said, "Well, no, she she had to think about who makes a difference in our lives, mm-hmm. and it's it's you and the flower shop. You make us happy, and so she." went in and talked about the flower shop and me and being a florist and what's involved. Mm. And that just, that just blew me away. And that made me feel okay. You know, we've, this is what I wanted to achieve. This is, this is it. We've, we've
0: definitely created our community. That's absolutely incredible. Especially in this era where having a brick and mortar shop is is, you know, we're getting, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard and it's getting it's even harder. Hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it's the a difficult fact, choice. it's true. And the fact that you clearly have such an impact in your community and with the work that you do is something that mm. sounds so simple, like a flower shop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I forget sometimes how much of an
1: influence we have on people. And then mm. I'll overhear someone coming in to say, I just wanted to stop in and tell you how much how I enjoy your window displays every time when I walk by. I always stop because it always makes me smile. Well, how amazing is that, that I'm, I'm making a difference in someone's day-to-day life
0: mm-hmm. just by being
1: who we are? Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really proud of that.
0: You should be. You know, We talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and being able to be a Mm-hmm. What I'm now just coining as joy maker yeah. in yeah. people's lives, whether it's just yeah. as they walk by or if they walk in or buy something that you mm-hmm. say or do, that's something that should be celebrated. So. It's definitely the driving force yes.
1: um, that I've discovered uh, in the last few years of really thinking about what I want the business to be. Yeah. Um, and that has been it is I want people to feel joy in every interaction with us Mm -hmm. and and the shop and and, uh, everything we do. So we've gone through the process of what are the steps that people take in their interactions with us, whether they're walking by coming in the store, talking to us or receiving flowers from us. And what can we do to make each part of it happy? And it's not, it doesn't have to be huge. These are small little things. That we can do to make people feel that sense of joy. Joy is little small moments. And then when you put them all together, it's happiness, right? So that's what we're trying to do is create those little small moments for people.
0: Oh, I love that. I really love the way you just put that together. Thanks. I'm like sitting here smiling like an idiot. Thought. I'm like, oh, it sounds so wonderful. And I know literally you walked in the door with a gorgeous little bouquet for me. And so instantly I just, I feel elated. Yeah. I, I that's wonder the magic of flowers. That's what they do. And that's, that's why we do what we do. Is there, yeah. like, is there something scientific behind yeah. that? Yeah, there, there is, there's, yeah, definitely. There's, there's been lots of
1: studies about flowers and the effect they have, the lasting effect that they have. They've, Mm -hmm. they've done studies where they give people different things and then they have to sort of rate their happiness. And flowers is the one that even after the flowers have finished, the sense of happiness continues for the longest as, as when they're given as a gift. Yeah. Wow, and it's, they, they've have been quite a few studies. They're fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I, I think it's because of, they're such a fleeting thing. I mean, they're they're just beauty that you get to enjoy, and in our life, we we tend to think a lot that things have to have a, a use. Right. So it has to be like, well, I I can't buy that. It's frivolous. There's no reason for it. So you choose to buy things for yourself that have a reason. Um, And as gifts, we do that, too. I'll say, well, you know, I could give them that, but I want I want to give them something they're going to use and that they need. (laughs) Yeah. And that's great. (laughs) Except we're maybe missing some of the joy out of life. Happy flowers that have beautiful color and have a fragrance and they're here for a while and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate luxury. Mm-hmm. And don't you want to feel that you're worth that luxury to someone else that they would give that to you?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that even if you're giving it to yourself, aren't you worth having a beautiful bloom? Yeah, I think so. And I think we're missing,
0: missing out if we if we don't allow ourselves that joy. Yeah. For sure. No, I, I really love the way you're articulating all of this. Um, there, I have actually heard populations of people, however, who think that fresh cut flowers are perhaps wasteful mm-hmm. or maybe not great for the environment in some cases because they are fleeting. Mm-hmm. Is there any validity to that? I don't think so.
1: I don't think so. I think... Um, I mean, food is fleeting. Let's, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> let's, let's be be clear on that. Um, it's, there has been uh, a lot of talk and it, it's less lately, but there has been talk and there, a, a book came out that was very famous that talked about how, um, toxic the floral industry was. It's not like that anymore. And certainly mm-hmm. here in Toronto, I, I don't know about other cities, but here in Toronto, we have access to local grown. it. of what we carry at the store is locally grown here in Ontario, not that far away. So it's not being shipped in for, you know, several days on a, on a plane. It's not being treated with crazy toxic chemicals. It's not bad for the environment in that way. Even Mm -hmm. the farms that are in South America, um, it's not how it used to be. Mm -hmm. There's much higher standards for everything as we, as we kind of move through the years. And it is a massive industry, definitely. But is it wasteful? I don't know. Is going to see a, a wonderful play wasteful? Is reading a book that you love wasteful? I I don't think so. So I don't see how having something beautiful is wasteful mm-hmm. just because it's not permanent. Yeah. I, I you know, and I just don't see that that's a wasteful thing. And here in Toronto, we are able to, um, green bin. So we compost all of our, um, greenery as well. I don't know about other cities, but here when your blooms are finished, you can put them in the green bin, they get composted. It happens in the natural world too. Flowers Mm -hmm. come up, they bloom, they finish. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong or frivolous to bring in
0: that beauty into your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that I mean I I appreciate that perspective. I mean, I have a a bouquet of flowers sitting right them. behind me. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a blessed gal. I yeah. have a wonderful partner who who likes to always bring home flowers for Aww. me, which is I know, I know. Like, keep the, like <laughs> keeper. Oh, exactly, exactly. It's hilarious. My my colleagues at work are all grumbling on a regular basis. They're like, "You need to have him talk to yeah. to to my person in my life." Um, but no, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. He's like, I, I love seeing the reaction on your face when yeah. I give you flowers. And, and so, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't
1: give you joy, I'm not going to tell anyone that they have to have flowers in their life. We yeah. do get people that say, I, I don't really, I don't like flowers. They don't, they don't last. I like things that last. That's okay. There's Everyone plants. can have their own thing. Exactly. There's <laughs> plants. You don't have to. Like what I like, that's okay. You don't have to to buy flowers if they don't bring you joy. Find what brings you joy. Exactly, flowers bring me joy, and and lots of other people, and that's why we do it.
0: That's true. Some people will think spending twelve hundred dollars on Raptors tickets is wasteful, but exactly, not my cup of tea. Exactly, but for some people, it's the pinnacle of joy. exactly. And you just
1: that's you only get to live life once, so find find the things that bring you joy, and it doesn't have to be. That expensive.
0: That's true. Yeah, I have a bunch more questions. Yeah, um, bring them. But on. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask one more uh, off script, and then I'm gonna flip back to script. Okay. Uh, it seems like, and I don't know if this is just my own little bubble here, but it seems like plants and flowers and growing is becoming such a trendy thing. Like you look at marketplaces and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, or even Instagram, Mm -hmm. everyone's posing in a greenhouse or everyone wants to get a succulent or this or that. One I wanted to see, is this something that you're also seeing? And if you had any thoughts on why this has become so cool and trendy. and hundred percent. And definitely the, the, it, Plants right now
1: are succulents, so succulents and cacti. You see them everywhere, and they're not something that grows natively here. Um, there are grown the ones we get are grown in Canada, but they're grown in greenhouses because they need um, dry, high heat, um, lots of sunshine, which we don't get um, through the winters. So I think that um, especially especially in cities but also in um other urban areas it's a lot to do with you're in an apartment then you go to work you're inside you <clears throat> excuse me you don't get a lot of life in your life um so i think that it's our way of bringing in something that's alive that's green that's fresh that's growing um that isn't just beige and gray Um, which is what a lot of the world is in a city. Unfortunately, I mean, Toronto, I I find Toronto really beautiful. I love it. Mm -hmm. But cities in general are pretty, you know, builder block, basic apartment buildings are basic because Mm -hmm. they have to appeal to everyone. Houses are basic because they have to appeal to everyone. So if you're going to make it feel alive, you want to bring in something alive. Think of a room, like think when you move into a new place, you're going to be moving soon. Mm -hmm. So when you first go in there before you bring all your stuff in, is it going to feel like you? Is it going to feel like home? Is it going to feel great? No. When you get your furniture in, is it still going to feel, uh, you're probably not going to feel like it's quite lived in, right? And then the minute you put plants in, all of a sudden it feels alive. And everyone craves that. People want that. And I think that that's what people are trying to bring in because we're losing this connection with the outside. We don't spend much time outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you in your day to day, do you spend a lot of time outside other than walking to and from
0: work? No, yeah. no, it's a damn shame. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So I think that this is our way of creating a connection is to bring this outside in. If you can't get outside, let's bring the outside in. And I think mm-hmm. in our modern society, that's what we're trying to do for sure.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I've never heard it so well articulated (laughs) until now. So thank you for that. And you're totally right. I mean, you know, I live live in an apartment that doesn't have an outside space currently. Mm -hmm. And I work in an office building that is, although super trendy and open concept, we don't have an outside space. So I I joke, I have my, my little wall of plants. I call it my garden. Right. And you crave it, right? You
1: crave that interaction. I think, I think we're wired to need it. And,
0: and this is our way of getting it. Got it. Yeah. For sure. I mean, Instagram helps, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Instagram (laughs) magazines, blogs have made certain things trendy.
0: That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hopping over to question three, how do you balance work and life? Very easy as an entrepreneur, right? Very simple. It's easy. Straightforward. (laughs) Um, I
1: I have trouble with this as a question sometimes because, and I I think it's just possible that it's because I'm in a creative industry um, and maybe it's different for people in different types of jobs. I don't know. This is pretty much all I've ever done. Um, And certainly as someone who owns their own business, I like work is life. (laughs) <laughs>
0: so, so i don't i am like
1: what what's to balance uh-huh. you, you know um so i i find it hard to answer that as a question really i mean i've created i'm i am in a very lucky situation in that i've been able to create an environment at work that is comfortable and and calming it's not high stress i mean just there's some stress in flowers, but it's not brain surgery. It's flowers. So it's, (laughs) it's not that bad. Um, and I, I've gotten to choose my team. So I have really great people that work with me. Um, I've been working on really defining our brand and our styles so that the people that come in to purchase from us or that we work with for events or people that want what we do. So there's not a lot of pressure and stress involved. So I don't feel that I need an escape Maybe is is part of it. I, I I don't feel resentful of work. Um, I'll I'm often at home doing work, but often at work, I have my home life with me. Yeah, you know, if it's I need to, blended. yeah, if I need to to go and and do a dentist appointment, I go and do a dentist appointment. I don't feel that there's any tension between the two parts, but I don't know if other people do you find that hard. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I, I think it's just because I, I, I don't have that tension in, in my work life because my work is my life and my life is my work. And I, you know, sometimes sure. Sometimes I work a lot of days. My schedule is very erratic. Um, so there's lots of times that I work five, six, seven days, and then I'll have one day off and then back to six, seven days hopefully get a day off but then i might work 4 days and and i'm the boss so i do get to schedule someone in if i need time off yeah um, i just did that last week my son had a pa day and i said you know what schedule someone in nothing going on at the store and we went over to the toronto island and rode around on our bikes Aww. and it was lovely and i needed it i was starting to feel like i needed to just have some outside time have some chill out with my son time so i made it happen but i didn't Feel like it was a difficult balance. It just was a priority. It was just, okay, this is my priority today. And then tomorrow my priority is dealing with this at work. And, and you just, I think you just day to day, you just set your priorities and work through them.
0: I like that. Just thinking of it sort of in a day to day fashion, because it feels like even as you express yourself, it feels like you've figured this out. Feels like yeah. you have a really nice blend, and you know it, it yeah. ebbs and flows. And it just feels like you have a, a good balance going. Yeah, I think I think expecting,
1: I think that maybe we set ourselves up for failure in in expecting that you should have a balance. There are some weeks where home is more important. I've got things going on, and I deal with those. And it doesn't mean that I don't show up to work. It's it's a shop. I still have to go. Mm-hmm but, um, sometimes my focus is more on home life and then other times there's a lot going on at the store. And so then my focus is on the store. So sometimes I do have to say, I'm not going to be home for supper tonight, Mm -hmm. but then other times it's important for me to be home for supper. So I don't book work things in to make sure that I'm there. So you just make decisions and there's no right or wrong decision. There's no, um, me spending time at work doesn't make me a bad family person and me spending time with my family is not making me not be a professional work person. So it's just each day I set my priority of what, what needs to get done.
0: And sometimes it's work and sometimes it's home. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important concept. And that's where I think even thinking with a more corporate hat on, Mm -hmm. some companies are catching on with that flexibility and being able to come and go as you please set your daily goals or, Mm -hmm. you know, what you need to get done. Mm -hmm. And if you get it done in four hours, great. You don't need to be a bum in a seat for remaining four hours. If there's other things you need to do or as family, or whatever you have in your personal life is a little bit more pressing, Mm -hmm. that's totally fine. Take the time and then make it up later on. And I think maybe that's a big part of why I don't
1: feel the pressure of Mm -hmm. of work-life balance, because I am able to just say, okay, well, I'm I'm done this now and Mm -hmm. I can leave. And I think if someone else was controlling that, I might have a harder time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've, I've owned, I've been my own boss for a long time now. It's 18 years. Wow. So I, you know, I don't really remember a time when I couldn't just say, I need to deal with this right now. You know, there, there are some days where I will close the store early because I need to go deal with something. Yeah. There's been other days where I've just made the decision to close the store for that day. I try not to, because I don't think it's very professional to do, but if something comes up, I will close the store Yeah, and go deal with it.
0: Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's happens. not
1: exactly. And it's not a struggle. It's
0: just, okay. Yeah. You know? You just do it. How have you created such a sustainable business? Because Mm -hmm. this is, you know, we can get into this a little bit, but it's a challenging industry you're in, but also you have a brick and mortar shop in Toronto, which is a very, very challenging thing in itself. So yeah. Curious. It's uh, yeah. Retail is hard.
1: Um, It is a difficult industry. It's, my business is a micro business. And I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, I'm not taking over the world here. I'm not franchising out. It's one store. Um, and I keep things quite small. I think also to be sustainable, I have to be prepared to not make my million. I'm never going (laughs) to be a millionaire doing this. You know, this is not, um, my, like my main driver is not money. If it was, this is not what I would be doing. That's for sure. So I, I think, it's uh, I'm I'm really lucky. My husband is incredibly patient, um incredibly supportive. Um I'm certainly not paying all the bills. He's he's keeping us, you know, with a roof over our head and and food on the table. That's not what I'm able to do. If he wasn't around, I would have to get a regular job. I would not be making enough to carry the household. Mm. Um so I think that that is a huge part of it is understanding that. To do what I do, I have to make some sacrifices in life. I'm not a big spender. I don't. I don't spend lots of money. I don't shop. It's just not. Doesn't interest me. Um, I don't have fancy things. We don't own a house. Um, I have a car, but it's a work truck. You know, it's not a fancy car. Um, And those are the things that I'm okay with because it means I get to have my amazing business, which I love. And Mm -hmm. I get to have my, my, uh, my little shop and my team. Um, That's not to say we're not profitable. We are absolutely. But um, the only way to keep it sustainable is to be okay with it being small, I think
0: for me. That's really, really interesting to hear about because I mean, I know so many business owners who unfortunately have cl- had to close mm-hmm. up shop because yeah. they, they couldn't figure it out or they didn't have the right kind of support in their mm-hmm. life to be able to make it. And, uh, and so I, I have a lot of respect for, even as you shared, you're like, I'm not a millionaire. I would dual income, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You are profitable. That's huge. That is. Yeah. I felt much better about <sighs> that recently because I
1: was reading a report about um, President Trump Mm. and uh, and how he reported a loss of uh, in the billions wow um for all his business dealings <laughs> for I think it's a, the 20 year period before he went into politics he basically never posted a profit and um, all his t- tax information shows that he was posting a loss now I know a lot of that is um, fancy accounting. Um, <laughs> to to not have to pay taxes. It's a very I get way of saying it, <laughs> <laughs> but but it, I have to say, I was like, oh, okay, that makes me feel a little better. That someone that most people would view as a success. I mean, he's President Trump, so I'm sure a lot of people would view that as a success, and yet uh, here I I am, little old me. Uh, I'm not posting a loss in the billions. I'm posting a profit in the tens, you know, so it makes me feel a lot better. I'm, I, you know, I pay my team. I don't owe big money and, uh, I I do pay myself just for the amount of hours I work. It's not a huge amount. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it did make me feel a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I'm better than President Trump. There you go. And I, it, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people can say that too. Yeah, but you I feel especially. I mean, <laughs> I'm also yeah, not a bad person. So there you go. <laughs> oh, so so polite we are in Canada. <laughs> Our American listeners right now are just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all righty. Question four: Can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life? I mean, I. I'm very, very lucky. I've had an amazing life and
1: nothing bad has ever happened to me. But touch wood, touch wood, touch, touch wood, wood touch,
0: <laughs> touch, touch everything. Touch for Micah, <laughs> there you go. Um,
1: but I would say the hardest thing I've ever had to go through was uh, in my late 20s. Um, my we got news that my grandfather was sick and had gone into hospital and my grandfather lived in England. Um, so when we moved, my grandparents stayed there. And, uh, so my parents went over to be with him because, uh, he was in his eighties and he never was sick. So we knew that it was bad. And then we got the call that he was, he was not going to survive. He was dying. And, uh, so my parents were over there. My siblings and I had a little bit of a conference and, uh, we're like, okay, well, one of us, um, Had the money but didn't have a passport to be able to travel. Uh, You know, someone else couldn't take the time off because they were covering for my mom, and uh, that was my sister. And and then someone else had the passport but couldn't travel. And someone, you know, everyone had a different situation. But I did have time to go. I had a passport and I could afford to go at the time. So I got the um, short straw and was like, okay. So I was going to be the one of the kids that would go over Mm -hmm. to be there. Um, We were worried that my mom would have to leave and come back to Canada because she owns her own business and couldn't take too much time away. Um, So we wanted someone to be there with my dad to help support and and be there and and deal with things. So I traveled to England. Um, I hate traveling. I hate flying. Mm. So that was awful. Um, But I traveled to England and I was uh, able to be at the hospital with my grandfather while he was passing away. Um, and be there to support my grandmother and my, my parents. My mom was able to stay the whole time. So I was there for about a week mm. while my grandfather was dying. And uh, it was horrible and horrendous. And um, we basically slept in the waiting room of the hospital. Mm. And, um, and watching someone you love die is really hard. And watching people you love have to see someone they love leave them was hard so being there for my grandmother was really difficult and not being able to help there's nothing you can do except be there it was a really difficult dark time but it was also um, an incredible gift an incredible privilege to have been able to be there Um, such a gift from my grandparents from my grandfather to uh, to let me be there while he was leaving and uh, i know that any of my siblings would have cut off their right arm to be there in my place so um it taught me a lot about life and living and dying um, and just supporting people and being with people you love and I, i wouldn't trade it for anything but it is it was the hardest thing i had ever done i had never been around someone that was dying ever and to, to watch it happen and to hold their hand as they go was just the hardest thing I've ever done. But I'm glad I did
0: it, for sure, yeah. Wow, that's very powerful. Thank you You're welcome. for sharing that story. I don't talk about
1: it very often because it was a pretty heavy time, um, but it was very meaningful and I'm, I'm so grateful to them that they let me be there for that, it was amazing.
0: Wow. You mentioned that it taught you a lot about life and living. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specific that you're able to share with us? Um,
1: I think that's, I mean, funnily enough, you you asked earlier about what had made me choose to have, uh, have a child. And it was shortly after that that, that, that we decided to have a kid. And I think that was mm-hmm. a big part of it was maybe it just made me realize that we only have this life. That's it. This is, this is it. Um, he was a really gentle, kind man. He was a lovely guy. Um, very quiet guy. He went through the second world war and, um, because he was English, they were conscripted. So he had Mm. no choice, but he refused to fight. Um, so he was, um, uh, paramedic basically an ambulance driver. So his job was to go in and get people that had been wounded um, or or killed in action. And um hearing him talk about that de- those days and and the death that he must have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, is just uh I was just amazing to think what he would have gone through. And then seeing him as he kept his dignity and and uh as he was going and seeing my grandmother who just loved him so, so much. Just, just really made you think there's only this life, you know, this is it. And you have to find, you have to find the happiness and you have to find the joy. And it's not about the big things. It's just about the people you're with and the people you want to be with, you know? So it did, it changed me. Definitely. Definitely. It took me a few years. I had to sort of let it sink in. It was pretty heavy at the time, but now I just think, you just got to do what you need to do to be happy. Um, it also really helped me speak to people in a professional capacity as well, Mm -hmm. because as part of my job, we do have people come in who have been bereaved who want to do flowers for funerals. And, um, before that, I had had a hard time talking to people, um, who were suffering. You didn't know what to say. You felt awkward. Um, you didn't want to say the wrong thing Mm. and then after seeing my family go through this and and seeing my grandmother and walking with my grandmother after the fact um I would uh it was my job to help my grandmother so um because she's a little frail lady she's adorable how old Um, is she so she's now in her 90s oh yeah so this this happened quite a while ago so yeah and she's still living alone in England yeah so is
0: so is my grandmother she's She's like 97 and she lives by herself and i love those can't can't believe her
1: she's she's just the best she's the best
0: so she um
1: just walking with her afterwards and we would um pass people on the street who would either have heard or not and then she would have to tell them that he had passed and um just in hearing those conversations And in knowing that people want to talk about the person and that I found really helpful professionally before I never really knew how to talk to people. And now I do. Now I know when someone comes in and and they're getting flowers because their husband passed away or their father passed away, they want to talk about that person. And I can have that conversation now. I'm not afraid of it. Um, Whereas before I always was because I was afraid of the emotion. Now I I felt that emotion, I know that emotion. I'm not I'm not afraid of that emotion so I can see it in other people and let them just feel it without feeling you have to control it in any way and and that was something that I I think I had to go through that to learn that. I don't think someone could have told me how that feels. But now I can help people more.
0: Wow. At the end of the day, we, we all are just humans and we're all trying to do the best that we can do despite the circumstances that yeah. sometimes we end up in. Oh, I was feeling myself well up as you are sharing that story. It's, it's very moving. Um, and what you do is such important work. And I really even just Partway through the interview here, I'm, I'm really grateful for you being here and doing oh, the work that you do. And it's nice. so hilarious because superficially, you know, oh, you're a florist. That's it, nice. I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one, one thing I do
0: really believe is that
1: um, what my job is on the surface, yes, it's making happy flowers, which is great. But what my job really is as a florist is figuring out what, what is it you're trying to say And then helping you say it Mm -hmm. to whoever that is. And that's part of my job. So in the case of a funeral, when it's funeral flowers, that's why I talk to people about the person that passed away and and Mm -hmm. talk to them about what is it you're trying to say. And then we create that emotion, that message in flowers. Trying to send someone flowers because you, you, you messed up, you feel bad. Trying to send flowers because you love someone and you want them to know. And that's my job is to... You know, you don't necessarily come in and say those words. You don't say, I really messed up. I need to send flowers or I really love this person. I want to send flowers. So I have to kind of take the cues, figure out what you're saying and then help you put that into a message. And that's that's what we do is we we transfer those messages for
0: people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes me think of like a hilarious side joke, which has nothing to do with what you just said, though. Of <laughs> <Yes>. of the <laughs> uh, someone I used to to date quite some time ago, he he messed up, and he went to the florist and told her that he messed up. So she said, "You need to buy three bouquets." Yeah, <laughs> good for her. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, everything you said is is so wonderful, and and thank you for sharing. Uh, I'd love to move forward to. Question five on a lighter note here, which is who or what inspires you the most? Oh, my God. I feel like
1: when I'm walking from from the time I wake up to the time I fall asleep, it's like there are little birds flying out of my head and like taking snippets off of everything and then coming back and just nesting them in, in my brain. It's very Disney of you. (laughs) Yeah, they are singing and I'm wearing a pretty frock. Um, (laughs) I got, I I just, my brain is always chattering. It's always picking things up, looking at things, snipping things away. Um, I, I love, I love British magazines. Um, I I love Australian magazines. I, I love watching movies. I love watching TV shows. I'm always, Oh, those colors together. That's really interesting. Oh, they set that up that way. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of that. Maybe I could try something like that. Or oh, look what they did on that table. They <laughs> layered those things. And I I'm I'm sniffing and, and setting them in my brain and and they just kind of sit there and bubble around. And then what comes out is is totally different. But it was from all those inspirations. And and I just feel like I'm bombard bombarded like it just everywhere everything is an inspiration to me and i mm. i sometimes it gets a little overwhelming i have to like calm it, it down a little <laughs> um but yeah everything uh, movies tv shows books magazines uh parks i love i love looking at people's gardens um i love seeing what people have planted uh i love seeing people's houses. Um, I love buildings. I love street art. I love, um, you know, paintings on the side of buildings fascinate me. Um, I, I just love everything. I, everything is, everything is a starting point to something. Yeah.
0: I love that. And when I was reading a little bit about your brand and what you do, it seems that the word whimsy comes up quite a bit. Yeah <laughs>
1: What, what led yeah.
0: you, what led you to the word whimsy? Um, I mean, the thing in flowers is uh, how
1: do you describe a floral style? I mean, it it is hard, but um, we don't try too hard to make the flowers into something. We just let them be beautiful um, and lighthearted and happy and joyful and colorful. We're all about color. Um, And I think whimsy is just our way of saying it doesn't have to be serious. It's not, It. it's just flowers. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can be lighthearted. It can feel frivolous. It can be delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and whimsy is, is our description of, of our style of work. It's, it's supposed to make you smile. Yeah
0: can't stop smiling through this interview i'm like yeah i love it i'm yeah, totally it's bought in. pretty happy work it yeah. is it is what's your favorite flower you probably hear this all the time sweet pea oh i love sweet
1: peas yeah
0: any yeah. particular reason i am um, my grandfather
1: would grow them for sure i think that's that's a big part of it but mm. um i love the scent i love how they look um they're not available for a few huge amount of time. So, um, I think that makes flowers special too. things that you can't get all the time. Mm. Um, I, I just, I love them. I love the colors that they come in. Um, there's beautiful ones that are like a deep, deep purple that have a lime green edge. So they just glow. I, I love that. I love, um, I love how they grow. They'll, if you grow sweet peas, they will, because they're in the pea family, they will start to vine around anything that's around them. So you always see them growing up um, big, long stakes. So they they reach out and the little tendrils will just reach and reach and reach until they find something and then they just wrap <laughs> around it and then they start growing up it. And I just love that. Watching them grow is amazing as
0: well. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fabulous. All right. Question six. What is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? Mm -hmm. I am the least adventurous person (laughs) you could ever interview. I feel like I was expecting this based on what you were saying before. You're like, I hate airplanes. I hate hate
1: airplanes. I don't like traveling. I don't like going fast. I don't like going fast down hills. I don't like going fast down hills on icy slopes. (laughs) Um, I don't like going flat uh, fast on anything icy. I don't like driving fast. Um, I don't like being terrified. I don't like
0: being scared for my life. But you know, adventurous doesn't necessarily <laughs> need to be an adrenaline junkie thing. Yeah. Like that's totally fine. What adventurous means for you yeah. is your own definition of adventurous. Yeah. I like, definitely I'm not. I, I don't
1: I don't crave that feeling. I I know some people do. They they need that adrenaline and they, they like that adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes me really anxious yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and terrified. And I don't, totally I don't want to feel that way. Um, a few years ago, so my, my son and my husband are adrenaline junkies and they do enjoy adventure.
0: It's good. They can do that together. Yeah, you like, can do that together, which is great. I'll, I'll sit and watch over here. <laughs> <laughs> All of the things
1: that I don't love, they love to do. Um, and so a few years ago I was going through just talking to my son about, um, about anxiety and worry and how to deal with things and and life. And, um, so I was reading a book that said you should, you really need to model this behavior for your kids. I was like, okay, I need to model this. Okay. So my son and I had a conversation about it and he said, okay, mom, so I want you to model this for me now. You don't like going go-karting. We're going go-karting this weekend. I never go-kart. I always sit in the stands. And the guys always ask me, do you want a go-kart? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Not interested <laughs> at all. No. Okay. So he said, then this is your chance to model this for me, mom. Prove to me that you're afraid of something, but you're going to do it anyway. So I was like, oh no. Oh, oh no. wow. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, I can do this. I, I can drive. I'm a good driver. I can do yeah. this. It's, it's just a car going around a track. I could do this. And uh, even though I knew I was not going to like it. And I got on the go-kart and I hated it. And I don't know if you go go karting, but you have to go like twenty laps or something ridiculous. And we're going around and around, and I am like a grandma. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I went around once, and it and it moves like the back end of the go kart drifts. Oh, what's that? That's not safe, <laughs> Julie. That's not safe. You could hurt yourself. So I have I slow right down. I'm like, this is not safe. So I'm going around the go kart track, and. My husband's like, bring me. he doesn't even care. He's not even noticing. He's not looking at me. He just wants to go. And my son uh, is on his own go-kart and he's going around and he's like, vroom, vroom. and each time he goes around, he's like, mom, <laughs> I think there's something wrong with your go-kart. <laughs> Take it in for a new one. And meanwhile, I'm every time he comes around after that, I'm trying to answer him. I'm like, it's not the go-kart it's me like he's like i think your go-kart is slow it's not slow <laughs> and so they finished and they sit and they watch and i'm like P-p-p-p-p. i have i got out and i was like i will never do that again i was like i knew i was right i knew it was dangerous and i knew i wouldn't like it and so now i keep myself very safe and close and i i don't uh, if i don't want to do it i don't do it yeah I don't skate. I don't ski. I I ride my bike, but I have a helmet and uh, I don't go fast and I go on the bike lanes. I just, it, it just, I don't need it. I, I don't, I don't feel any drive to do adventurous things. I really don't.
0: I mean, at least you gave it a,
1: a go. I gave it a go. See, this yeah. was, and I was like, I've proved that Just because you don't want to do something doesn't mean you should rule it out and it's okay. And had I enjoyed it, it wouldn't have mattered if I was good at it or not. Exactly. But it turns out not only did I not enjoy it because it was dangerous, um, but also I was no good at it as well. So
0: I don't need to do it again. I empathize. I empathize. I I don't like roller coasters. And I went on the biggest wooden roller coaster in the world just to see if I would like it and I hated it. And it just further reaffirmed that I really don't like it. Because you could
1: all out something yeah. could go wrong mechanically
0: oh, i i just honestly Julie, you could die i i don't do
1: it it's <laughs> very serious not a fan <laughs> i'm just laughing <laughs> great just yeah like, everyone says all oh, plane flight uh, is safer than being in a car okay sure until you're in the plane yeah right it's safer because you're aren't on a plane every day that's why it's safer so yeah not not an adventurous spirit at you all. should
0: listen to uh our episode by uh pilot emily who was on the podcast? Oh, yes. Because I asked her a whole bunch of questions about uh, like turbulence and stuff like that. And she actually did a really great job at making you feel yeah. way more comfortable if yeah. you're ever a bit nervous when you
1: fly. Very nervous when I fly. Yeah, I have, yeah. To, I have to just not think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I recommend it. She explains yeah. it very well. That's funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you can die. Don't do it. That's funny. No, oh. it's good advice. <laughs> All right. Moving on to question seven. I know I feel, I see the stress on your face. <laughs> I, I'm feeling stressed out that you I went know. on a roller coaster. I was like, Oh no, oh, I know. I know. I know. Okay. Sorry. Right. Okay. If you didn't die, you're good. I'm still here. We're good. On to question seven. What do you attribute your success to? Um, well,
1: again, that's one of those things. What does the term success mean? Um, if we're talking monetary success, I'm not sure that I have that. Um, so the fact that if we say is success, the fact that I am still in business, I guess that could be my success. Um, so that's definitely the patience, love and financial help of my husband for sure. <laughs> um, in, in just getting through the, the building of the business. Um, but I have, uh, I have a quote up on my wall at the store. That's from Conan O'Brien's last show. Um, Was it the tonight show? I think Mm -hmm. that he was on. And uh, it says, uh, if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. And that's pretty much how I think is the best way to get success. Whatever success means. Um, and, and that's, that's what I do. That's what I do at the store. It's just about working really hard and being gentle with people. And, and then I do think good things come from that. Mm. So hard work, basically, that's yeah. not a very exciting answer. No, <laughs> hard <but> work.
0: It's, <laughs> it's, it's an important reminder though, that you yeah. do have to work hard and it, you can, it's very, very real. You can feel it emanating from you, that, that kindness, that desire to do good. So I I can really understand that. Like
1: there's no, there's no fast route to success in, in retail, small business. The only way to get there is to hammer away at it, to, to work really hard, but that doesn't just mean showing up and doing the, the work of the business. I think that also means, um, I've had to put a lot of thought into um all the different aspects of the business to make it work as a business. It's not just a case of open up the door, have a bunch of flowers and, you know, people will come and buy the flowers. You mm-hmm. have to do all the work that it takes to get people aware of your business. Um all the social media, all of the promotion, all of the marketing. These are all things that are not actually a part of what this shop actually does, but you do have to give them thought and work hard on them and find ways to get out there to bring the business to you. Because, you know, I'm not Amazon, I'm not Costco, Mm -hmm. I don't have their budget. So um, there's a lot of work that's not the work of the business that that we've had to really push on to to get where we are.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to ask a little bit around mm. how you compete with the online business because that's mm. something that's certainly over the past eighteen years has mm-hmm. become a much bigger force to deal with.
1: Um, yes, and no. Uh, one thing for floristry is we're pretty lucky, and that's not it hasn't been as much of a thing. If mm. uh, our gift side of the business is a little harder but the fresh flowers um there hasn't been a big push by anyone to become that online mammoth um so i haven't felt too much of a pinch from the online world yet that's not to say that there isn't some um i think i read a statistic recently that said 90% of shopping is still done In physical stores really only 10% North America 10% is online so it's it's one of those things where I think people think that it's all being done online Mm -hmm. now 60% of research is done online Mm -hmm. so people do still like to go online to get the information I don't like buying online personally Mm -hmm. I like to to see it to touch it to to actually be with the thing before I buy it I'm not comfortable buying things online Um, and I think that that's a big part of what we do is people want to see it and they also want it to be individual. And if you want something to be individual, you can't buy it online and just buy A, B or C. Mm-hmm. You have to come in and talk to us and create you know, a completely different item, um, which is part of the strength that we have against online, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we do carry lots of small makers pieces as well. So we do have some sort of mass produced from the regular floral wholesaler pots, vases, that sort of thing. But I also try to bring in local made pieces. Um, So those are things that you can't get. They're not sold in online stores. They're not um, mass produced. So that is sort of one way to keep us separate. Mm. Um, And as soon as anyone um, gets picked up by one of the bigger stores that generally means I can't carry them anymore because, Mm. um, I'm not Indigo books. Indigo books is eventually going to discount things and I'm never going to be able to sell things at that price. So, Mm -hmm. um, I have to have sort of a constant revolving, um, roster of artists and makers whose pieces that we carry to try and, you know, um, get people to buy something that's sort of a little more unique, Um, And that means that they can't find that online. So they have to come to the store.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that, that actually makes sense. I'm so surprised by that stat. I totally thought it was way more. Yeah, I I know. And I I do get asked that a
1: lot. Um, People really feel that online is where it's at, but I think certain industries. Yeah. Um, When we moved to Canada, my dad opened a bookstore in the small town. And um, this so this was back in the 80s. This was pre-computer basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was always his dream. He opened a bookstore. It was amazing, Um, beautiful store. But eventually online took over, you know, the the World Wide Web happened and um, owning a bookstore today is hard. Uh, There aren't that many independent bookstores anymore. Big centers like Toronto, there are some. But in small towns, you're probably not going to find an independent bookseller anymore. And that's, you know, that's really sad. That makes me really sad. Mm. Um, So that's an industry that couldn't survive as easily. Mm. Um, Maybe eventually it'll happen in flowers, but hopefully I'll be retired somewhere warm by then. Hopefully not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
0: but what you said before really resonates. Uh, having that advantage of being able to see, touch, smell, feel mm-hmm. what you are going to give mm-hmm. versus online. Yes, it could be more simple. Maybe they mm-hmm. do have positive reviews, and you can kind of entrust them to some degree. But mm-hmm. you're you're buying a bit blind. And so. a big big part going back to what we talked about um,
1: in that I'm. I'm basically helping people figure out what they're trying to say. Exactly, You can't do that in an online store. No. You know, how do you, because I think half the time people don't know what they're trying to say.
0: Exactly. They, they
1: can't articulate it. So when they come in and we talk to them about what they're doing, it's through discussing with them, we can guide them. Um, and you can't do that online. How do, how do you put that into a computer and um, that interaction? And even when people come in to buy plants, they have a million questions and they're mm-hmm. trying to tell me where they're putting it in their home. Um, and before we talked to them, they probably would have said, oh, I have great light. So I need a, a plant for really good light. But then <laughs> through talking to them, we actually realize, no, they actually have terrible light. And <laughs> that's the problem. And so then I can guide them to a better plant. How do you put that into a computer, right? So I think that there's still a lot that the person to person you need to have in, in this type of industry. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, that individualized consultative approach. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's a good point. I, I never would have thought about it in the same way prior to having this conversation mm. of that whole theme on trying to help them understand what they're trying to say yeah. with whatever application of flower joy they're trying to exactly. move into. <laughs> All righty. Question eight, mm. what item or items could you never live without? Trees, flowers, birds, water
1: of some sort. Right now it's uh, Lake Ontario. Cause I'm in Toronto and it's a few minutes walk. Um, sun, sun, uh, just all those things, which sounds kind of crazy because I, I live in a city, um, and I would anyone that knows me well knows that I'm a city mouse. I am not a country mouse. I would mm-hmm. not uh, flourish <laughs> in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just I couldn't imagine not not having those things. I, I, I crave them. Um, if I haven't been outside after a few days, I I figure out a way to go for a walk and and be in the trees and. Uh, I go down to the water and just sit by the water. Um, I love flowers. Obviously, I, I get a lot of those at work, but I, you know, I I'll change my route home mm. so that I get to walk through the streets that have certain things blooming at certain time. Aww. So right now, I've changed my route so that I walk down the little side street that has the lilac trees blooming, Aww. because I, I just I just like to just walk under them and and smell them and see them, um, and I, I I can't imagine not having trees and, and uh, greenery and, and birds and yeah, it would be terrible.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. And it's very, I, I love the way you describe pretty much everything you're saying, but especially the. I'm a city mouse. Yeah, I'm such a city mouse. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I I mean, for me it's all I've known personally, so I couldn't envision myself not being in a city, at least for most of my time. But having that nature element, yeah. having sun, having even just some proximity to water, even yeah. if the water is slightly toxic, like Lake yeah, Ontario. I mean, I mean- <laughs> face it, I'm not
1: jumping in the water and no, swimming in the water. No. But, but um, looking at it. Yeah. I just <laughs> I, I I I love to just go um but then I also love the city side of it too. So, mm. I mean, I grew up in England, so um, not a big fan of the mosquitoes, the uh, raccoons, the porcupines, <laughs> the skunks, the bears, um, don't have those in England. So, um, <laughs> really? that, might be part of, that might be part of why I'm not much of a country mouse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I still feel that that need to have the, the natural world mixed in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're lucky in Toronto because, uh, it is city within a park for sure.
0: Yeah. It's, we're very lucky here. We kind of have it all. Um, not everyone who lives in a major metropolitan city can, can even say that. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful city. It is. Go yeah. Toronto. Visit Yay, Toronto, Toronto if you <laughs> You haven't yet made it up here. This podcast is brought to you by, by the <laughs> Tourism Board of- Toronto. <laughs> I know it's funny. Look, even in the States, I mean, people who live, uh, less than an hour flight away or a few Mm -hmm. hour drive for people like yourself Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) people have never made it to canada ever let alone toronto so highly recommend get your passport if you haven't done that yet take a little road trip or take a quick flight check it out very very cool city now i had a couple of quick questions before we start to wrap things up here Mm -hmm. for you um and this is more just an outsider perhaps ignorant question of you have a flower shop. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome shelf life? Because mm-hmm. you know you have flowers, and flowers, yeah. as we talked about, are fleeting. Yeah. And what if sometimes they're not in demand in a particular week or mm-hmm. a certain kind? Is so not- we have um, mm-hmm. we have
1: a flower fridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a large refrigerated unit that we keep the flowers in. So when we get the flowers in, they're cut into fresh water. And then they're put in the fridge, which is around, um, it, it goes up and down a little bit. Um, but it's around sort of five or six degrees Celsius. And what that does is it puts the flowers on hold. Mm. So it, it makes them, um, kind of slow right down. Um, and that allows us to keep them there for a little longer before they hit their shelf life. Um, so we know when things come in every couple of days, everything gets taken out, mm-hmm. everything gets checked, everything gets recut so that it will take up a little more water because it will over time seal up. Um, if we get to about a week for some things, um, some things are a little longer, uh, closer to two weeks and there's something still in the fridge that hasn't sold. We know at that point that it's not going to have the optimal life for the consumer. Um, so if we know that we've had it for a certain length of time, even if it looks perfect, we know that when we take it out of the fridge, it's going to sort of speed up, um, and won't give people the four to six days that you should expect from cut flowers. So then at that point, those flowers get composted. They get put in the green bin, which is in Toronto only, I believe, but, Mm -hmm. um, we're lucky to have that as a, a service from the city. Um, so what I do as an owner is I have to kind of, it's a little bit gut and it's a little bit um, research and looking at the the information that I have from previous years. So I know that certain weeks are busier, certain weeks are less. Um, when I purchase, I see what's coming up. I know what orders I have, what events I have. I order specifically for those. And then I have to bring in extra that I think will cover What we need through the week until i go to market again Mm. so it's very much a case of sort of feeling it out Um, is it normal busy right now is it busier than usual right now is it a slower time and um and then you just kind of have to try and keep you have to try and keep it's tricky balance because the fridge has to look full all the time otherwise people don't feel comfortable buying. It's like the psychology of people. So if you come into my store and before you come into my store, you're like, I'm going to go in and I just need one single red rose. Mm -hmm. And you walk in and you looked at my cooler and there was one single red rose sitting there and nothing else, you wouldn't buy it because the psychology is you would feel Uncomfortable. You're like that's why the bad is there one. only one red rose? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. You do it. At, I do it at the grocery gro- grocery store too. Right. Mm-hmm. You see, um, that in the meat section or vegetables. Well, why is there only one avocado? What's wrong with that? Is <laughs> is that the avocado that rolled around on the floor? You know. Right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So we have to keep it always full, even when it's a little slower. Mm-hmm. So then we have to do things like move some things around. It does mean that there are times where the wastage is a little higher. Than other times. Um, but we try to keep a tight lid on it. You don't want to, to lose, uh, too much products. So, um, I've gotten really good at it over the years. Yes. Um, it, it's definitely a skill that I've had to, to really kind of lean into and figure out. And I've got a pretty good groove now. Um, my fridge is, um, well, it just broke down before Mother's Day. So it's a very oh, no. expensive piece of equipment that, um, you know, I, I don't like to ever have to see my fridge repair guy when he when I do see him. It's always very sad. Um, <laughs> and he knows he knows that we have that relationship. But um, the fridge is the biggest part of the puzzle, because uh, if we didn't have that. Um, it would be a lot harder to do because you'd be doing it on a day-to-day basis. Whereas with the fridge, we're able to kind of put everything on hold for an extra week Mm -hmm. before the clock starts ticking. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And I was also curious... You mentioned when you go to market so Mm -hmm. it sounds like do you you have to like hand buy all your flowers tell us a little bit about how you acquire them so here in toronto there's um sort of
1: a main market hub is out by the airport Mm -hmm. which makes sense because there are lots of flowers that come in um, from other countries so they're flown in um so that's sort of where the wholesalers are. Um, I buy mostly on the Ontario Flower Growers Co-op. So that's actually an auction-based system. So um, it's Ontario growers. So local Ontario farmers um, belong to this organization. So they come in with their product and they put load it up onto carts. And the auction happens, I think it's every day of the week. I usually mm. am there on a Tuesday and a Thursday and it's a reverse auction system so the carts come out with the flowers and the price starts high and the growers set the price so they say i'm prepared to sell this bucket of 100 ulstro um i want the price to start at x and drop and then once it gets to y if no one's bought it i'm taking it off okay So then the price starts and there's clocks and there's two going at the same time. Uh So there's things being sold over here and things being sold on the other side. And the two clocks start high and then they drop. So the price starts going down, usually by cents. Sometimes it's by 10 cent increments, depending on what it is. And uh, you have to sit. Now, I used to do it in person. Lots of people still do it in person. Now I do it online. So I'm hooked up online to their system. So it's still live. But I'm at home in my pajamas. That's way instead, better. Yeah. <laughs> instead of there at 5 30, 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, so you sit and you watch, and then as the price drops, you have to bid. So you're pressing the button to stop the clock to say that bucket's mine. Oh. But you have to decide. How what price you're willing to pay because it's a reverse auction, so the price isn't going up and up and up. The yeah, the price is dropping. That's nerve-wracking. No if, if you wait too long, someone else will buy it, exactly. and then you, you didn't get it. So that's the main auction that I buy from, and it's Ontario product for the most part. Um, wonderful, our growers are amazing. We're so lucky in Ontario and, and in southern Ontario to have the environment that we have mm. and the farmers. They work so hard and they grow amazing, amazing product. So that's where I get most of it. Um, And then there are a few wholesalers there that you can pick up other things if you just need a bunch of Mm -hmm. instead of buckets of. And then I'm also um, a member of a local flower collective, which is a fairly new association. Uh, This is its second year. Mm -hmm. And two very, very lovely ladies um, started it up last year as a way for the smaller farmers that are Micro farmers, they don't have large enough yields that they can go to the
0: big, auction. Uh, the bigger
1: auction that, mm. because you have to, it, it's, it's a much bigger deal to be in that auction. You have to have a lot of product. So these are smaller local micro farmers. Um, so now they've set up a system so that all these tiny little farms can bring their product there. And then the smaller studios and smaller shops can go and buy from them and pick up there it's wonderful i'm very excited about it um it's only their second year so we're still working out some kinks um but it's it's astounding to me the the beauty that's available like wow ontario flowers are stunning and we're incredibly lucky and this doesn't just mean may to october there are ontario grown flowers all year round
0: right with yeah. The greenhouses yeah oh yeah it's gorgeous We're very lucky that's amazing yeah Um, I was curious because I, being a bit plant-obsessed myself, meet a lot of people who are not or they don't think they can be. Um, So what advice do you have for people who have the opposite of a green thumb, Hmm. like thumb of death or however you want to think of it? Yes. (laughs) Um, If
1: there's one thing I've figured out about plants and plant people, People that think they're not plant people um, is that it just means you haven't found the right plant for your situation. Um, most people, as I said earlier, think they have more light than they actually do. Um, so they think, oh no, it's a very bright, sunny room. Absolutely, I can have all these amazing plants. And most of the trendy plants tend to be highlight plants. Mm. Um, so cacti, succulents, that kind of thing. Most people, Unfortunately, don't have that good a light. So it doesn't matter how good a plant person you are. If you bring a plant into a space and it's not getting what it needs, nothing to do with you, it's going to die. Right? (laughs) It's it's, 100% personal. (laughs) (laughs) No, like it's, you could be amazing with it, but you can't change the situation and you can't change the plant's needs. Um, So what you need to do is get the correct plant for that situation. Mm. And that will make it so much easier. Um, most people have low to medium light. Um, most people in apartment buildings, especially, um, but certainly houses, if you have any kind of an overhang, if there's a building, um, or if there's trees, Mm. um, you're not going to be getting the light that you actually think you do. So in your room, um, if you imagine a room as a rectangle, and uh, the one third that's closest to the window is usually gonna be your higher light section. Mm -hmm. The middle third is your medium, and then the back third furthest away from the window, Mm -hmm. that's your low light area. So if in your highlight area, you can sit down kind of mid-afternoon, so late morning or mid-afternoon, if you can sit there and open a book that's not a large print book, (laughs) <laughs> you can open a book and read comfortably and not feel like oh, I kind of need to turn on an overhead light. Right. If you can read comfortably, then you have pretty good light. If you feel it's a little dark and you kind of would not really sit there without a light on, you don't have good light. Doesn't matter how big your window is, doesn't matter how sunny you feel it is. You have to have that quality of light to to have cacti, succulents, and lots of the other high light plants. Mm. So if you try to get those plants and try to grow them, they're not going to do well. They're Mm -hmm. not getting enough light. They need that light. That's their food. Doesn't matter how well you water it. Doesn't matter how much you love it. (laughs) It can't
0: survive. If you sing to it. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. So you need to get a plant that likes medium light or lower light, which is what most people in apartments, condos, and um, darker houses actually would need the lower light plants. Even then you have to be prepared for them to not do amazingly well. Right. Because it's not
0: normal for plants to live indoors. What are some examples of some mid or low light plants Mm. that Um, people might not think of? uh, So certainly
1: a pothos is a a really good one. Um, Everyone has probably seen that one. It's trailing. Um, very easy to grow, but it is a trailing, so it's not an upright plant. Um, one that's really, really good is um, a Zamioculus samifolia, um, which we call ZZ for short because that's a lot easier. <laughs> I was going to say, say that 10 <laughs> times fast. Z- <laughs> Zamioculus <laughs> samifolia. Um, so that's a nice leafy green, tropical feeling plant that doesn't need a lot of light, will mm. always look fine. Um, the important thing also, though, to know is when Plants are using less light. They also tend to use less water in general. Um, The only exceptions to that rule being things like succulents and cacti that don't need a lot of water. They're used to being in very, very dry environments. So when you take light out of the equation, let's say you found the perfect light level plant for your space. You have to then be careful how much you're watering it. Um, Most people are too in love with their plants and can't help themselves and just keep watering, and watering, and watering. Mm -hmm. You can't do that, they drown, basically. Mm -hmm. So you have to get your light right, um, get the right plant, and then you have to be careful with your watering. Mm -hmm. So you you have to make sure, for the most part, most plants like to be lightly moist, not dry, not soggy. That usually will mean, for most people, they just water once a week, Mm -hmm. nice and easy. Yep. The problem is most people have cacti and succulents in their low light apartment room and they're watering it constantly. Uh. And that's just, there's no way that plant can survive. Mm. So you, you just have to ask questions, talk to the people that you buy the plant from, do some research, get an idea. And if it's not doing well, you need to change something. So you may need to move it to a different space. You may need to change your watering either more or less. So it doesn't mean that you're wrong and that you can't keep plants alive. It just means you haven't quite got the right plant for the right spot
0: for the situation that you're in yet. Got it. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And hopefully... Everyone can find a plant that they can keep yeah, alive. Yeah. And hopefully someone listening to this is now inspired to <laughs> go out there and talk to their local florist or figure out a plant situation. Yeah. I mean, my biggest my house. biggest tip
1: would be don't choose a succulent or a cacti as your first plant.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because yeah. a lot of people, they joke, they say, oh, cacti are, are very hard to kill yeah. or a succulent is, is very hard yeah. to kill. They're so easy hilarious. to love too much. Yeah. <laughs> Good advice. I appreciate that. All right. Question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Um, I think if I was going to promote something,
1: I would say, everybody, please think about how you can support a small business. Think about how you spend your money. Um, so, it's not just about me owning a small business. It's all the small businesses out there. I don't think people truly understand the power we all have in our wallets and the difference that we can make. Um, I don't avoid big box stores. No one is asking you to go all in. It's not a case of only buy from small businesses, otherwise, you're a bad person. That's not it. But just with each purchase that you make, think, can I support a small business with this? Because $5, $10 does make a huge difference to a small business. Um, So think about instead of getting that gift at a big box store or online, could you just spend that money with a small business in in your local neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Because if we don't support these small businesses, we're going to lose the small businesses. It is very, very hard To keep a small business afloat whether that's a coffee shop a flower shop a chocolate shop a bakery a gift store it's very very difficult none of us are doing well none of us are flourishing Mm -hmm. some of us are managing and some of us are on that fine line between paying the rent and not paying the rent this month and your purchase can really make a difference and we're not talking about a lot of money Instead of going through the drive through to get your coffee, maybe pull up outside the local coffee shop and just wait a few minutes and buy your coffee there. That makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Instead of buying a card at the big, huge store, buy your card at the small greeting card store on your corner. That makes a difference. It doesn't have to be every purchase. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But if we don't preserve small business and small stores. Mm -hmm. We're just going to be left with the big box stores. And the sad thing about that is that's going to change the very makeup of our, our streets. It's going to change the society that we live in Mm -hmm. because they speak to the masses. They have to, that's how they, they run. That's how they make a living. So everything becomes very bland, very beige, um, very boring because they have to appeal to everybody. And in doing that, we're going to lose all the individualism, all, all the things that I think make society work and make society fun. I don't want to lose the small stores. Um, so I really think if everyone could just, just think about where you're buying things from and just think, could I buy this from a
0: small business? Mm hmm. That's really well said. And everything Mm -hmm. that we learned in this interview about how important that consultative touch is Mm -hmm. and that individualism you shared, that is absolutely utmost importance. And very often we just get caught up in life. We don't think about these things. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that reminder. No problem. And where can we find you? Tell us the name of your business. Uh, so I own
1: Periwinkle Flowers and we're in Midtown Toronto. We're on Mount Pleasant Road, which is Mount Pleasant and Eglinton. And you can find me online. You can find me on Instagram, Periwinkle Flowers. And uh, yeah, any any flower needs in Toronto, we can help you out.
0: Your Instagram is fabulous, by the way. Thank really you. Really beautiful flowers and photos. Uh, I'm lucky in that I have... Uh, pretty easy time
1: getting good photos because of what we do. So
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love it. All right. So to wrap things up, I'd love to move on to question 10, which is what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Mm. When I first
1: had a store, um, so this was quite a long time ago. Now we had a client, um, who I had a really hard time with I could not figure her out. She, she was talking to us about doing flowers for an event for her daughter, her teenage daughter. Uh, it was a bat mitzvah. And uh, we had only been open maybe a year or two at the time. And so we were in our mid twenties and, and very sure of ourselves as you are in your twenties. And um, I, I just remember just being like, I don't understand why is she having such a hard time? What she's asking for isn't complicated. It's a really basic arrangement on every table. And and I just remember feeling so frustrated that she couldn't just make the decision. She had to keep asking her sisters to come in. And and I I I just like, why isn't she getting this? What is the problem? And I I really felt a a, definitely a, a frustration and a lack of patience and and I couldn't understand what what is she not getting about this? It's so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and just make a decision. And, um, she did and we did the event and it was beautiful. Um, and then a few years later, I read an, a piece that she wrote. Uh, she was actually an editor of a magazine and, um, I found out that she had actually been dealing with cancer at the time. And very sadly, she eventually did die of cancer. Um, but she had been going through treatment at the time that we had been speaking to her. And then everything kind of fell into place. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was a really hard lesson to realize it sometimes has got nothing to do with you. And, and that hadn't even occurred to me, hadn't occurred to me through the whole process that something might be going on with her that was nothing to do with the flowers nothing to do with me, nothing to do with not liking me, nothing to do with not trusting me and everything to do with, she had some things she was trying to deal with mm-hmm. and flowers was like really low down on the list. And, uh, i really learned from that over, over the, um, years that have passed and I am very, very careful personal life and professional life. Um, you're driving in a car and someone's, you know, cutting you off or, or seems to be really mad or it doesn't seem to have any patience and is in traffic. Maybe they have something going on, you know, that you don't know about. It's not always about you. Um, and then in professional life, hundred percent, if someone is a little difficult to deal with, um, maybe they've got something happening at home. You know, maybe someone they love is dying. Maybe they've just gotten a bad diagnosis. Maybe they've got a boss who is really awful to them. It's not about us. It's about the customer. And so it's really taught me uh, a hard lesson to think of the person. It's, it's not always as black and white and as simple as the transaction. There's more going on. Um, and it was, uh, I I look back on that and I, I, I feel bad. I wish I had been a little more understanding of her because she was a lovely lady. And I just remember thinking, I, why, why is she having a hard time with this? It's so simple. And now it's like, of course, like the flowers was not even remotely something Mm -hmm. she should have been worrying about at that time. So I learned a lot from that. And, um, if, if anyone else can learn from that, that would be great.
0: I think that's an incredibly important piece of advice, not only for anyone who does any people facing work, doesn't matter if you're a bartender or a consultant or in sales or just a human being. Mm -hmm. I think we are so quick to judge and so quick to react, especially in places like big, busy cities. Yeah. We are so close to each other. What's their problem? Exactly.
1: And it's it's nothing to do with you half the time. It's true.
0: Even like, you know, subway train. Oh, why did this person not stand all the way in? I mean, I find myself thinking these, types of thoughts, but that person could be dealing with a lot and where they're standing is probably the furthest from their mind in that moment. Exactly. Just giving people
1: a little, a little grace. Yes.
0: Yes. A little bit of kindness, a little bit of of empathy, Mm -hmm. really hugely important. Well, Jess, thank you so much for everything you've shared. You're welcome. I've learned so, so, so much today and I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Keep creating joy. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L E G I T L A D Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P O D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.